Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. We've recently been doing a series of dual podcasts um, or dual guest podcasts. Um, we've had some success with them, certainly enjoyed the conversation that can emerge by having two folks on. So today, uh, really happy to have Mike Murphy from Proctor Free, a longtime entrepreneur here in Charlotte. has been building Proctor Free for, for a couple years, as many of you know. And Kevin Eckert from TFX Capital, who has invested on both current rounds with Mike Murphy, uh, joined us as well to talk about, you know, the success and struggles that the team has had over at, at Proctor Free. So good, solid conversation. It's, a, it's an open and honest conversation, I think, in a lot of ways. Mike walks through some of the struggles they had um, a couple years ago, how they fall through it where they are today and how they're growing and where they see the future going. So really good podcast kind of opens up the honest discussion that, you know, I mean, nothing, or I shouldn't say not everything is a straight line. And this podcast really highlights it. Well, Mike does a great job. I mean, he, um, by the end of it, you're, you're pulling for him, right? I mean, so you're, you're pulling for the guy that's, that's fought through a lot of things over the course of the last couple of years and it really helps tell the story of, of TFX Capital and why they invest in veteran-led companies, right? It's a, it's a, it's really a, you know, it's a story where you're going to come away rooting for both Proctor Free as well as you know uh, Brandon and Kevin over at, at TFX Capital. So certainly hope you enjoy another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. All right, Mike and Kevin, welcome to uh, welcome to another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. Certainly glad to have y'all on the podcast today. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us, William. Yeah, no. So, um, you know, it's always good to talk to a founder and a VC right here in our own backyard. Um, Hopefully here in the not too distant future, we can get together and have beers and um, talk about what a successful podcast it was. But um, until then, we're still stuck in a Zoom world. So um, (laughs) as y'all know, um, as y'all know, just from past podcasts, right? One of the ways we like to make sure, or like we, we like to get started is just making sure the audience is fully up to speed on, on who each person is. So if you can give us a 60 second commercial mic on who you are, talk maybe in that process a little bit about Proctor Free. Um, obviously we're going to wrap a lot of Proctor Free into the podcast. Um, and then we'll circle back around and we'll have Kevin do a, maybe a 10 second intro. (laughs) (laughs) You saved the best for Fair enough. (laughs) Kevin go after me. Okay. Um, William, thanks for, for having us today. Um, so I'm originally from upstate New York, um, spent some time in the military as an intelligence analyst. And then um, spent some additional time as a defense contractor focusing on forensic and biometric related projects and problem sets. I moved to the Charlotte area just over 10 years ago uh, to work for a veteran founded um, educational company. And um, that was a unique experience for me because I'd come from kind of Middle East data set and and what I thought like was a big part of my life. And then there was a, a big chapter change for me. And I had no idea at the time that I was going to work for, you know, essentially a for-profit school training organization and no idea that I was going to work for a startup. Um, It was growing when I joined it, Um, took some night courses to make myself more useful. Um, And I I think that was the first time I faced the problem we're trying to solve for today, 
So that organization uh, was called Everblue Training Institute. We did live and online training. And, um, you know, you kind of, if you think back in your career, there's like vivid memories you have. And one of the vivid memories I have was trying to proctor an exam for a bunch of non-technical people in like a rented hotel space in, in BC. And I remember one guy was borrowing a computer, borrowing, I think his daughter's email address. And it was just so frustrating to see these people that were capable of receiving training. And I know they could go out into the field and, and do their work and earn a living. But the one thing that was preventing them right now is being able to log into a computer and take an exam. Um, fast forward to, to where we are now, you know, that, that wasn't really a problem that we had to bandwidth to solve then, uh, but it was always kind of an issue that kept coming back and we eventually became accredited, which means, you know, the, the stakes are higher. And I was always kind of curious about, you know, we have these people that are buying courses from us, interacting with our learning management system and our intellectual property. And then we're, we're basically saying, hey, you're good to go. Here's your, your certification, go take your test, get certified in something. And I just come from a world where, you know, uh, doing a biometric enrollment in the middle of nowhere was, was possible doing a verification against existing information was, was possible, depending on what, you know, access and equipment you had. Um, so just kept thinking about this and um, uh, me and our, our co-founder struck out and went through um, a, a known incubator here in Charlotte. It's now called QC FinTech. I think we were in the second cohort. At the time it was called RevTech Labs. Um, we, uh, based on that process, uh, we were exposed to the NCIDEA grant. We were, I think a spring 2013 recipient um, and an award winner. And then since then, we've probably made every mistake and dealt with every challenge that an early stage company has made. Here we well, are. Yeah, that's, well, I'm, I'm excited to dive into those, um, those challenges. Um, so thanks for, um, thanks for that. I'd kind of forgotten that you spent some time over, um, with the folks at Everblue training. So, um, yeah. we'll circle back through that too. So, um, Kevin, I'll, um, I'll grant you a little bit more than 10 seconds. Um, just give us a little bit on the background too. And, TFX Capital and, and where things stand today with you? Sure. Uh, 15 seconds is, is probably more than enough, William. Uh, I, like Mike, grew up in upstate New York, just outside of Buffalo, uh, joined the Marine Corps out of college, served as an artillery officer. That's what brought me to, to North Carolina. I was at Lejeune, uh, separated from the service and transitioned to the business world via the General Electric Company, where I spent about six years, uh, then found my way to the investment world um, via private equity. So I worked in uh, lower middle market private equity uh, for almost 11 years. Uh, it was there that I actually caught the startup bug. So started doing a little bit of angel investing on my own, uh, watched the company I work for make a couple of one-off uh, early stage investments, one of which turned into a unicorn and was kind of excited to take my career in that direction. Uh, started networking here in Charlotte through the, the military tribe and, and came across my, my now partner, Brandon Shelton who was standing up TFX, uh, fell in love with the thesis, which is um, investing in early stage B2B technology companies founded by military veterans. I work with these sorts of folks throughout the years, obviously served with them and was excited to be a part of it. So became an investor first. I was a limited partner in, in TFX initially. And then uh, when we went on to raise another fund, uh, joined him as a, a general partner back at the beginning of 2018. Awesome. So maybe right. 30 seconds, sorry about that. That's all right. We won't um, it just cost you an extra beer when we get together. <laughs> Pleasure. <laughs> so, um, so Mike, tell me um, a little bit, tell, talk to me about the problem and you mentioned it a few minutes ago, right? But um, tell me about the problem that Pro Proctor Free set out to solve and how that's evolved over the course of the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So uh, my original co-founder and I, we, 
we, we were dealing with the issue at Everblue of having to, to proctor exams. And at the time, you know, going to look for a, a proctoring service, there was a, a couple um, companies that had been around trying to solve the problem, but there's been so much technology change, um, you know, year to year in the past 10 years. But there was a point in time where a company was, you know, buying cameras from China and it was like this fisheye lens, you know, lamp base that would be, you know, set on your, 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 your you know, your work area. Um, you know, and I come from a space where it's like, you know, does, does someone really want to like tether a fingerprint reader to a computer? Like, how do you get that? How do you do the technical support? So there, there really wasn't anything other than, you know, a call center model proctoring service that was still in its early stages. Um, you just felt like, man, the, the technology is out there to solve for this. Um, so we went out and um, kind of did a roadshow up and down the East Coast, um, leveraging our original co-founders network and some folks that I knew that were still in kind of the, the DOD world. I mean, went up to DC and talk to a company they know that's got you know like space scientists working on their program and it's just like realized pretty quickly that companies like that aren't used to commercializing um, their products for early stage companies um, like so how could I even you know license their technology if we wanted to do it um, and then just kept coming back to you know that there's folks that can't always afford that's not convenient for them to go to a brick and mortar facility to have someone sit there and watch them take an assessment so how do we really solve for that and then since then a lot of other things have been have, have been revealed. So, you know, simply put, some folks would describe what we do as just watching someone take an exam. And we can, we can talk more about how our platform works, but, you know, there's an there's a element of identity validation and monitoring that occurs. You know, there, there is cheating deterrence. And then there's also just processing of data for customers because, you know, over the last year, it's been pretty revealing that, you know, it's a kind of a Zoom world. You know, some folks are gonna work remotely, semi-permanently, others aren't. But um, if you wanna go out as a, as a professional or a graduate and say, my name is Mike, and I'm capable and competent in these 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 areas. It's like, well, who who's what did I learn? Who said that I learned it? Who validates that I actually learned that? So how were um, how were you initially solving the problem, and how has that changed over the course of the last couple of years? Yes, um, <laughs> we're, in, we're in generation four of, okay. our, of our platform. Um, I mean, just countless software releases, but. Um, so early on, you know, we recognized that um, we, we, you know, we needed to retain a, a CTO resource and we've evolved now to a great partnership um, with, a, with a company called Dual Boot here in Charlotte. And um, there, there's reasons that, that we, we chose to work with them in particular. And also we, we like that model. Um, you know, so just backing up, our community has changed and that's awesome. Um, but it is really hard for an early stage company to recruit top flight tech talent here because you're either at a point in your career where maybe you haven't actually haven't written code in a while and you've been managing things or you're junior in your career and there's nothing wrong with that, but you kind of haven't like taken your lumps yet. You don't have like that historical knowledge that just comes from working in different companies and where you're like mid-career and maybe you have a family and great benefits. And it's like, why would you come and work for something that's likely to fail with like no benefits and a, and a ton of stress? And then, you know, so we're also competing with the banks, Lowe's, other large companies, you know, there's unicorns here. So why, how are, first of all, if we're not great at HR and recruiting and you don't have a background in that, how are you even going to find these people? Why would they even want to come work for you? And then once you're working together, there's a ton of tension. You know, it's, it's not easy. We're, we're building a car going down the highway at a very fast speed. So um, originally, I was just for, for those out there listening that are interested in the technology, we're originally a client application. Then we went to uh, a web application um, 
with Java applets on a page and, and that had some challenges. So now we're, we are a client application again, that happened right in like the gen three um, transition. So if anyone out there has used Zoom or go to meeting, which most of you probably had, if you're listening to a podcast, we are a client application similar to Zoom and go to meeting. So it's an executable file. It's intentionally downloaded and installed on a machine. And then depending on the client, and their candidates or test takers, we kind of sit in between them and being able to take their exam. So imagine you log into a learning management system or a content management system, you learn something, and then at some point there's going to be an assessment of your knowledge, and we kind of sit in between you and, and getting to that assessment. Yeah. So, um, Kevin, from um, from y'all's perspective, so I mean, again, y'all are TFA's capital, invest in veteran um, veteran founded startups. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Mike's a veteran um, veteran founder. Um, what, what drew you to, cause correct me if I'm wrong, y'all have invested in Kevin uh, or in Mike through both funds, fund one and fund two. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So you yeah, didn't invest Mike, just once. Mike was one of our earliest investments. I think, yeah. uh, investment number two. Yeah. Yep. I, I remember early 16, right? I remember meeting Brandon very early in the, in the TFX uh, life cycle. And just, I'm so impressed with one of the reasons I'm impressed with TFX is it's essentially a, a startup in its own respect of someone going out and saying, Hey, let me manage your capital. And I'm going to deploy it, you know, effectively and, and get a return. So like that, it, that was impressive to me. And, and Brandon today has the same mission and vision and drive that he did when I met him. I don't even remember how long ago at lunch. <laughs> we have a lot we of empathy for our founders because we, we joke that we're a startup investing in startups. So yeah, yeah, we, we just keep going to the pretenses of him investing in us. I, I can't even remember why we met, but it wasn't under the, you know, the, the you know, pretense of TFX even investing at the time. So, um, so Kevin, on that note then, so, you know, fund one, fund two, two different mm-hmm. investments. Um, and I've heard you continue to talk positively about them, right? So it's a continued love affair. So what's the, um, what was the driving initial conversation that led you to invest in Mike and, and Proctor Free and, what's what's continuing to allow y'all to be excited about what they're doing it and how they're tackling it right sure we're a a founder focused firm so mike has always been somebody that's kind of emblematic of the founder that we want to back he's he's passionate he's driven um he's humble uh he's tough and resilient so um yeah, he's always stood out as, as one of our founders. I, I think, uh, William, you've been to our showcase events when we used to have them in, in person pre-COVID. And, uh, you know, we had a virtual one, one this year, hopefully this year. Uh, it's, it's in person again. But Mike was one of the winners of that. I think the first one we had was uh, Mike ended up, ended up winning it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's also his, his expertise around the problem he's trying to solve. I mean, he brings a ton of experience to the table and, and uh, because he's passionate about solving this problem, it's, he's the exactly the kind of founder and the kind of company we want to invest in and continue to invest in. Well, you said love affair. It hasn't always been a love affair. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that. Oh, well, that's true. Let me, um, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's not a love affair. It's not I mean, always smooth sailing. Yeah. I mean, so, so Mike, I mean, you take me to the place I was going to go next, right? I mean, um, companies, companies had its struggles in the past, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, and that would go, that would go in between found, uh, round one and round two of T- TFA's capital. So just let's spend some time talking about the struggles, right? And the, 
the awesome thing is, is you can, I don't want to say you can sit completely on the other side of the struggles yet. Cause it's always, yeah. a, it's always a struggle to run a business. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but talk, talk about the struggles and how they came about and how you fought your way through them. Um, and if you can, and this is a whole bunch wrapped into one question. So if we spend the next 30 minutes on it, it's yeah, okay. You may have to correct me if I'm, if I'm rambling, but, um, but I was gonna say, I mean, tie back in the whole, cause I mean, you know, part of the, part of the, not part of the thesis with, with Kevin and TFX capital and Brandon is, you know, military founders having a way, have an ability to do things that other folks might not. Um, and so just talk about the interplay of what you, you know, what you were taught and everything else from a military perspective and how you kind of drew back on some of that as you fought through it. Um, if it's applicable. Okay. There's a lot. All right. I know. So I mean, I look, if you just yeah. start waving your arms, I'll, yeah. I'll shut up and you can course correct me. But 11, 11 is our shutdown time. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if I, if I think about, you know, what, what the military did for me, it, it, it changed my life. Um, so when I look at like South Korea and, and, and Israel, like compulsory military service isn't always a bad thing. And I think the outcomes of that, if like a great book is called Startup Nation, about like the, the bridge between the military industrial complex and the, and the corporate sector in Israel. You have, you have a ton of people that serve, not all of them are gonna do 20 years. And they have like this just this skill set that they come out with, they have an awareness of, you know, latest and greatest technologies. So, um, but for, for me, the military was, you know, I, I joined the military when I was 17, I dropped out of high school and got a GED. And it was like, absolutely what I needed. I needed to leave the area that I grew up. I needed to, to just get out of that area and, and go through a, a quick maturity process. And not to say that I wasn't very mature, um, still in my early twenties, but, um, it, you know, it just put me, uh, in a, in a place where I was around people I had never met or interacted before from different religions, different backgrounds. And I was just submitting myself to something that was bigger than me. And if I followed instructions and worked hard, there was probably going to be okay outcomes. Um, and, I think what it's prepared me for professionally is just to, and even as a defense contractor, just to be able to deal with a baseline of stress and understand that you can always be down or stressed out and complain about, you could do anything, any job in the world, you could probably find things that aren't ideal about it, right? And there's no such thing as perfect. So just accept that baseline of stress and just work the problem and figure out how to get along with people, figure out how to communicate with people that you don't know. Um, understand, you know, what motivates them. So I think the biggest thing for, for most military veterans is you've already kind of shown that you can work for extended periods of time in a fatiguing environment, dealing with a baseline of stress, and it doesn't need to be absolutely debilitating on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, great yeah. points. Yeah. To yeah. add to what, what Mike was saying is, um, I mean, the military invests a lot in those that serve in leadership training, but more so probably the most corporate enterprises. And so uh, at a young age, you get the kinds of responsibilities that often folks don't get ever in their, in their career. So leadership is the one aspect. Um, the other thing uh, I think is a misperception um, is you start developing those entrepreneurial muscles in, in the military. It's not all about, you know, you're given an order, you follow an order and, and, and you know, that's this flawless execution. Yeah. You're given a lot of latitude to accomplish a mission. It's often, you know, you need to do this to do this, uh, figure out a way to do it. And you come up with a plan and more yeah. often than not, the plan doesn't work out. Right. So you've, you've got to react to contact and adjust and, and uh, you know, get the problem solved. So that, that's a great point, Kevin. Two things that are come, come screaming in my mind when you, you just said that is, you know, you often receive a commander's intent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so this is what the, the commander intends to happen. And it's not like a prescriptive list of how you're going to get there. Yeah. And then when you're on a, like a firing range, there's left and right limits. Like 
you know, you want to hit your target, but hey, by the way, like absolutely don't go outside of these limits for safety reasons. So I, I use that, you know, analogy here in our company, like, you know, I'm not a micromanager and that's revealed in the interview process. So if you're someone that needs to be micromanaged, like we're probably not going to work well together. And then I'm going to give you enough information, hope that you help me identify your vulnerabilities and gaps so that we can fill them and then just operate in the left and right limits. And as long as you're courteous and we stay away from kind of like the four no zone areas that I communicate, like you're good to go and I expect that you're going to make mistakes and we're just going to respond to it and, and move on. So like the other, the other thing that Mike mentioned is this idea around pressure testing. I mean, the, the worst day in, a, in, in his startup is probably not anywhere near the worst day he's had in the military. So uh, to a degree, he's, you know, he's, he's been prepared for a hard slog. And, and as Mike mentioned, I mean, startup life is a grind. It's, it's far from easy. So uh, we like the back founders that uh, have been in that environment, uh, know what it means to fail and are able to pick themselves up and, and adjust and keep going. Yeah. So, um, so let's use that as our backdrop and then talk about some of the challenges that Procter Free saw a couple of years ago and how you kind of fought through it, Mike, and how, you, you know, I would imagine leaned in on people like TFX and took some, um, took some, um, some criticism and maybe a little bit of heat and, um, yeah. and continued to, to, you know, for lack of a better term, push the mission forward. Yeah. We're, um, okay. I'll tell you that Brandon is, only that at TFX is the second time in my life I've walked out of an airport was because of Brandon. And I went to my car at the airport and I punched the steering wheel a few times yeah. and I went back to my desk that day and I didn't solve the world, but um, he was literally one of two times in my life. And I, was either, I was on a plane and I got off, yeah. I was in an airport and I just picked up my bags and tried to, get, if you ever tried to get out of an airport, like once you're there for a flight, it's kind of odd depending on the makeup of security and they kind of look at you like you got three heads, but I mean, no, I, and I, I know I'm kind of, uh, I don't want to seem like I'm taking this lightly or silly at all. You know, we- But you have to, too, at the same time, though, right? I mean- uh, You just you, have to talk about it and be honest. I mean, look, we're uncomfortable, like, on a weekly basis, sometimes on a daily basis. You know, after this podcast ends, I've got to call a client that's probably a little bit irritated with me. And all we can continue to do is keep trying to be honest and, and working hard. But, you know, right at the end of, um, of 2018, we're in a point where- we were facing, you know, some really tough decisions. Um, we had probably two or three options. And one of them was to recap the company and try to kind of just do a big reset. And, and we did that. And um, imagine going out and, and telling people, some of who I still see on a regular basis. I know some of these people's families. Um, I know some of these people's backgrounds and they weren't like independently wealthy and telling them, hey, you're going to get diluted uh, pretty substantially. And oh, by the way, we're raising more capital if you want to participate. You can imagine that there's some people that was like, F you. And I, I, what are you talking about? And, um, you know, there's probably people out there that might even like me personally, but think that their experience with me was bad. And I, I own that. And um, what is one of the things that motivates me to, to keep this thing alive, get to the next day and, you know, and return shareholder value. What were, um, do you mind if I ask what the challenges, um, what kind of led to the, was it, was that going from, um, from, um, from series two to series three of the software or where were the yeah, struggles I at that point in time? Yeah, I mean, so you take you take something to market. It's like you. So we're on Zoom right now. Zoom works pretty good, doesn't it? It works Actually, fine for this. Yeah, it probably it probably <laughs> had growing pains, and you know we have expectations now. So think about digital natives, and then think about people that aren't digital natives. Like you just you expect things to work. Like I drive a car right now. It's it's not a really nice car, but it's I don't have a key for it. Like I just push a button and it turns on. So like that better work 
or like I'm not I'm probably going to pull out the manual and figure out like start reading the manual maybe I'll google something on my phone so um, user experience and customer experience expectations are um, only getting higher um, it's a higher bar to clear so when you roll out you know, we're a startup, this is our MVP, we're rolling out a product that's, you know, supposed to work everywhere and anywhere at all times. And, you know, we have this vision of a machine's gonna do all the work and a human's gonna do no work and it's gonna be super smooth. Like that's not the reality. Um, you know, there's, there's gonna be you know, bugs that you're not aware of. You can, you can only do quality assurance testing for so many scenarios. Um, and the last thing you wanna do is have your clients giving you feedback about your product that you're unaware of. But yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've maintained clients through, um, you know, uh, product transitions where we're sunsetting an older version. You know, we've lost clients at times. I've had to return checks to clients. I've had to apologize. I've had to get, I've had people yell at me and it, and it's, and it, and it sucks because all you want to do is solve for a problem and, and deliver a great experience, but it's really hard to get to a mature um, product phase. Um, and even today we have, we have significant product milestones that we want to hit this year. And we're trying to be very careful about when we start messaging it, who gets the first access to it. And thankfully, if you, if you talk to your clients enough and develop meaningful relationships, some of them are eager to be your kind of alpha users or your beta users, um, recognizing that this is something that they want and need um, and that they're willing to kind of be the first users of it of once you get to you know, a mature QA process. So yeah, I mean, early on, it's just, um, we're trying to do uh, something big at scale, um, 24 hours a day availability, moving a lot of data between a user's machines uh, out, in, out in the wild to the cloud and then um, quickly turn around a result for, for those clients to, to reserve. So I can be more specific if you want, but just um, you, you name it. And anyone out there that's, you know, built a so software as a service or, you know, technology enabled service um, that, that probably rings true to them or familiar. So um, we'll, we'll kind of dance into it a little bit. Um, Kevin, the, um, so you probably just joined TFX at the point of the recap then, right? Um, it wasn't yeah, that long. I, right. I was about a year in. And so you're right, William, my involvement, direct involvement with TFX started uh, beginning at 2019 when I, when I joined the board as, as part of the recap. Um, so what is, um, so, um, you know, you're walking in um, and Mike tells you that we're going to, we're going to recap the business and we need more money. Um, so um, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? Obviously, um, Brandon sends him out of the airport and punching the steering wheel, but <laughs> once that does For good settles, reason. yeah, Michael admit. <laughs> Absolutely. One thing that's consistent with the effects yeah. is they care, they're responsive and they're yeah. honest and, um, you need that feedback sometimes, yeah. even if you don't like it, it stings. Oh yeah. No. That's why it stings is because it's true. Yeah, no, absolutely. 100% right. Um, so, um, so, Kevin, how do y'all, how do y'all fight through that? Right. I mean, um, how do you stay on board? How do you stay level-headed? Um, how do you, how do you push the right button, so to speak, yeah. um, and continue to champion the success of the company at the same time? Well, compared to the other options we were facing, um, I mean, we thought it was the best option and we were one of those early investors. It was going to get crammed down. Uh, and, uh, we wanted to put more money in cause we believed in Mike. And so, with the product built and still selling with, with a very small team, um, we wanted to get behind Mike and uh, you know, help him stabilize the company, roll up our sleeves a bit more by joining the board and um, you know, get the company on sort of solid ground and in position to scale. Uh, it, took, it took some time to get it there and, and Mike did an amazing job 
of, of stabilizing things and continuing uh, the company's growth with very little in the way of resources, money or people. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll leave it to Mike to kind of tell that. Yeah, so, so William, just said, like, I'm, I'm not trying to be vague, but um, be more specific, you know, we went to a point in 2018, 2019, where like I, literally going down the P&L, like, what, what is this cost? Do we need it? Mm -hmm. Can I live without it? All I need to do is keep the product in maintenance mode and maintain as many clients as I can. So just like retain revenue. You're probably not going to grow revenue, but you got to retain it and then sell, sell, sell. So when we went into 2019, it was literally two full-timers. You know, we, at one point in time, we had 15, 17 full-timers, probably 30 to 45 part-timers. And um, I, I would say one of the lessons I learned is we've had a ton of good people that have come in and out of our business. It's like, but it, you know, sometimes it's like not the right fit, not the right time, not the right product. You know what I mean? There's like a whole... Mm -hmm variety of reasons. So today when I'm talking to people and, you know, my COO and I have reviewed probably over 400 resumes since January, not that many interviews, probably about a hundred. Um, you can tell right within five minutes, if we can't communicate with each other. I'll just try to help you if we're on the call for 30 minutes. Like, look, it's not a right fit. You don't want really want to work here. You know, like, so how can I help you while we're still on this call? So all through 2019, it was me and one other full-time person. Thankfully that individual is kind of like a jack of all trades. Um, and willing to wear multiple hats. And all I needed them to do is help maintain our, our customer support, keep our product in maintenance mode. And all I'm going to do is go out and sell about halfway through, um, well, not halfway, about a third of the year in 2019, I retained a part-time SDR. So someone for half a day every day was making calls for me. And that allowed me to amass enough data by the end of 2019 that I, I said, hey, I've got about a 17% close rate on these inbound leads because we were tracking every email, every phone call, every meaningful engagement every demo, every contract sign. So I was like, all right. And one thing that's always got me up every morning, like I'm obsessed with this company, right? Is there's an opportunity and there's a challenge, right? Like the people are, want you to solve this problem for them. It's not like I'm going out and making up the market. Like market is there and it's, it seems to only be getting bigger and evolving. And like, it's interesting to me because there's the technology aspect is, is kind of futuristic. So um, at the end of 2019, um, you know, we, we determined we're going to probably do a, a bridge round to support taking a little bit more risk and bringing on a full-time sales hire. And um, that individual had experience in higher ed publishing, dealing with school districts. He was familiar with education technology um, beyond mid-career. So I didn't have to like mentor them on, on some of the things that I just can't be spending time mentoring on. And, um, you know, he was kind of hesitant. He was like, he'd never worked for a startup. And I was like, look, Talk to our one other full-timer. And like, I, I told that person, like, you got to be, just be honest, right? I want you to know what you're walking into. And I, and everyone knows what, what's going on now. And we, we talk about it on a regular basis and take a chance, uh, you know, and, and like, you don't, like, if you want to take a chance, like, look, what you see is what you get with us. And he started about three weeks before the pandemic. And um, had he not started, like, I, I probably would have been <laughs> we probably would have broke in some ways, but um, it was it was amazing. You know, we went through the early part of the pandemic with a new sales employee. And I mean, there was days where we had 16, 17, 18 meetings booked around the world. And you're talking to people in Europe that are literally are telling us the death rates and that they, the people are dying in their communities. And we just tried to help who we could help the fastest, make sure our platform was stable. And then go out and make sure our clients would be able to pay us because we, you know, we, we, we did kind of a SWOT analysis, but yeah. So, you know, we brought that individual on right before the pandemic and um, you know, we were confident based on what had occurred in 2019, you know, methodical growth, building the foundation back up, you know, SDR, some data, 
hiring a salesperson. We were already pretty confident we were gonna we were gonna hit our forecast for that year, but right after the pandemic started, we just did a, a, a basically a coronavirus forecast, and then we, we exceeded that. So how um, so remote proctoring right is essentially what you're doing, um, yeah. and re- remote um, theoretically had a fairly decent year last year. Um, yep. so how did you, you know, you know, it's like you go back and you think about Ford in 2008, you know, they, they faced their own struggles in 2005, 2006, recapitalized their business. And as a result, they didn't need the government bailout in 2008 because they, you know, for lack of a better term, they'd screwed up early enough that they were actually already on the road to recovery. You're almost kind of in the same place, right? Where 2019 helped you reset and literally, did you know it was going to propel you into 2020? So how did 2020 go? What did it look like? And how's that carrying over so far into 2021? Yeah, so, um, you know, right early on in the pandemic, um, we just kind of took an all-hands approach with uh, our existing team because we've always had a, a great um, team of, of, of part-time resources for some of the auditing that we do and in our support agents because it's basically any hour of the day, someone in the world, someone's using our, our product. And the first time you use our product, it's, it's like riding a bike. If you're going to have a question, that's usually it. And then yeah. after that, it's, it's really easy to support an account. So we took an all-hands approach internally because um, some folks were saying, you know, what is going on? What does this mean? Um, we did a, a SWOT analysis. And then um, we, we just, you know, maintain a OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, act. Um, so uh, we did internal communications to our team on a regular basis to say, look, we don't know what this is going to look like, but expect more because we are just being overwhelmed with inquiries. At the same time, we started to authorize our development resources to spend more for stability. Um, and so basically, you've got to prepare for like five, 10x volume on our platform. If nothing else, our platform just needs to work. Don't worry about net new. It's just this thing has to work because it's about to get pounded with volume. And then we did external communications. And what that looked like was um, I recorded some videos and used a, a company out of Atlanta that was referred to us by one of our shareholders to just get messages out to people who say, look, we're here, we're focused on stability. Let us know how we can help you because one of the risks is, it, to us, it's, well, the two biggest risks at the time was AWS goes down, right? Like if AWS goes down, that's a problem for a lot of people. And for some of our clients, they wouldn't even be able to get to us if AWS went down because it's supporting other things they use. And then what if all of our clients say we can't pay our bills? Like that's a huge problem. So we immediately went out and started touching base with all of our clients to understand the economic impact that we're facing. We offered discounts through the end of the year for some people. Um, and just simply talking to people about it, it helped us understand what was occurring. We had some accounts that wanted to spend a lot more and buy, you know, exam proctoring sessions in bulk. Um, so just having those conversations to say, hey, like we're not economically viable. We don't like have a huge runway here. So if everyone can't pay their bills because the world seems like it's ending, like we need to be aware of that and start to plan for it. So it resulted in some discounts and some people really appreciate appreciated that because their businesses or their institutions were impacted as well. So kind of took an all hands approach, internal, external communications, looked at what the biggest threats um, were to us. And then just this OODA loop of like, you know, day to day, week to week basis, like, you know, what needs to change and just keep communicating. Um, so, um, so I'm a, I'm a cheat. Um, and I'm gonna tell you, I have the, um, an update from TFX in my inbox <laughs> that I saw yesterday. Um, and you had a, you had a nice year last year mm-hmm. and, you're, I mean, let's be honest, you're projecting to have a, a much nicer year in 2021. Yep. Um, uh, Kevin, let's shift to you for a second. Then we'll come back to Mike and ask about, you know, his, his vision of 2021. Um, how did you, um, 
with your portfolio companies and Mike specifically, because we've got them here on the call, right? Uh, March 13th, Friday, March 13th happens last year. Um, and nobody knows world, what the world's going to look like on the other side of it. What y'all do going through the course of 2020, right? How does y'all work with clients? How did you work with Mike? Um, how did you problem? How did you, from a board seat and everything else, help Mike kind of problem solve as 2020 unfolded in front of all of our eyes? I mean, I, I would imagine at first it was, oh, no. Um, and then as soon as it realized, oh, gosh, everything's virtual. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, there was some of it. I mean, initially, I think everybody was in shock, right? So um, we weren't any different than than any other investor where the focus uh became, you know, let's see how all of our companies are currently positioned and make sure that they have adequate runway to get to the other side of this. Not really knowing when the other side of this would, would be, we kind of took a, you know, a swag and said, you know, 18 months of runway sounds right. So uh, some of our companies were already in that position. They, they had raised earlier rounds before the pandemic, so we're okay. Others weren't necessarily in that case. So, um, you know, had to pull together inside rounds in, in a couple of instances to make sure the companies, you know, had adequate runway to, to survive. Um, and in the case of, of Proctor Free to thrive, we uh, weren't sure what this was going to look like, but we knew he was well positioned. The product was in good shape. Um, the challenge with Mike was, was, was resources, right? Making sure um, he had the money to, to, to bring on somebody to help him. Um, and, you know, to, to deal with the flood of inbounds that, that came his way, you know, once, um, you know, folks sort of saw what was happening and there was this shift to, okay, there's technology out there so we can, you know, can work and learn remotely. Um, so I, mean, I guess how, how we helped Mike, we, we were already in the process, as Mike mentioned, in putting together a bridge round. We did that quickly. And then, and then another way was when we, when we saw that, you know, Mike was just working like crazy, was to you know help him identify potential resources he could bring on board. Yeah, and even prior to that, you know, one of the ways. Uh, look, not all investment is created equal, and we're very fortunate that we've got other great investors. But with TFX in particular, um, you know, they've referred me to a business coach, um, Cindy Basinspieler, that I've worked with probably four to five times, either privately or with larger groups. TFX has often you know picked up the bill for that. Um, and, and Cindy's had a huge impact in my life professionally. She's kind of like a half, you know, a therapist, half coach. Um, and then you kind of, you, you just move on. And, and when you look back at like, oh, where I am now, like some of the, the things we picked at um, was a result of the work with her. And then also our fractional uh, chief financial officer, Todd Cerulnik. Um, Those are two direct introductions and recommendations from TFX. And look, I'm not obligated to work with them, but I, I look back over time and I certainly feel like I've benefited and the company has benefited from those relationships. Cindy was with Cindy was with me at the uh, TFX event at um she was on my team at the TFX event at the Whitewater Center a couple of years ago and she's the only reason we made it through any of our challenges. I'm, so. not, surprised to, I'm not surprised to hear that. <laughs> Cindy's tough. Yeah, she is. So um, in the army. Um, but she's um I mean so you know uh, you're 2021 over 2020. I mean you're looking at what three um, X right three yeah. X plus. Yeah, um, we, we don't want to do what we did last year, right? Like all the key business metrics, um, we, we want to grow. This is not a lifestyle business. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's, that's great. Um, positioning, how's the new product rollout going to support that? Yeah. So um, 
right now. I mean, some of the things. And that don't just... don't talk positively about dual boot and Todd. Todd, you know, he's, <laughs> he's got a big enough head as it is, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Todd once interrupted a meeting that I was having. It was our office in Davidson. That's why yeah. I usually don't work from home because I don't want to be interrupted by like any band practice or like yeah. two falling down the stairs. Yeah. But like Todd once <laughs> interrupted a meeting here that I was on in Davidson to give me swag. And then he went over to his partner, Ben Gilman's house in Davidson and interrupted Ben in the same meeting. That's never happened to me before. So at a high level is we have a revenue goal. Uh, we have a gross margin goal. And then I start to, we're, we're doing some analysis with our, uh, Suzanne, our chief operating officer on annual revenue per account, you know, our current customer mix, our desired customer mix. Where are we now? If nothing changed, what would we be doing each month and then quarterly and annually? And then like, what is the Delta? And I've got a sheet up on my, on my screen right now on my other computer that, um, you know, it's not comforting to look at. Like we have a pretty big Delta to close. So I'm just trying to put the right resources in the company and around the company to at least show the flight path um, to accomplishing, you know, our goals for the year. So makes sense. Um, so, you know, Kevin, from your perspective, right. I mean, you went through some, um, some downtimes with, with Mike and Proctor free 2018, mm -hmm. 2019, um, to see last year, to see some of the financial metrics that they, that exist today, as well as projections going forward. Um, what story does it teach you about startups in general? Right. Um, how do you, how do you view it? What have you learned through, you know, being on board with Mike um, over the course of the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I guess looking at our industry, um, you know, that often is, is betting for a unicorn to emerge from a portfolio and, you know, uh, expecting a couple, a couple of zeros that, uh, you know, they end up giving up on founders. I guess the takeaway from working with Mike is, you know, don't give up on your founders. I mean, if you believe in them and you invested in the first place, um, you know, push the resources that, the, that they need and, you know, they're, they're going to get it done. Um, we could have given up on Mike. I mean, there was that point in, in 2018 and, and early 19, um, you know, a lot of other investors did. And so I think, you know, believing in Mike, um, uh, investing a bit more and then making sure he was positioned when, you know, the big gust of wind was coming, um, was uh, ended up being the, the right call. And, you know, we couldn't be happier in terms of the performance of Proctor free and, and, and happier for Mike, uh, well-deserved that, you know, wasn't easy getting to where he is now. And now he's, he's in a great spot and, you know, sort of, you know, position to really, really take off, um, and, and scale up the team. So we're, we're thrilled to be a part of it and, um, you know, happy to lean in and help. So Mike, you were two, you were two folks on the recap. Where are you today? Um, so as far as FTE headcount, we're uh, bringing on our eighth person, um, starts early next month, a very senior VP of customer success that's based out of Washington, DC. And we're right at about 50 part-time employees. And then we have a whole host of, you know, different vendors and providers for, for functional areas of our business. So the business is, the business is unquestionably growing again then. Yes. Yep. A lot of, uh, lot of HR, hat is, HR hat is on this year. Um, trying to also wrestle with, you know, we're not probably, we were already like a decentralized and virtual company pre COVID, right? So being on zoom, using Slack and collaboration tools, none of that's new to us, but wrestling with the fact that the team's growing, 
how do I, one of the concerns I have is I don't want to lose culture and the things that are important to me about culture. I don't want to lose what's important about relationships with clients. And we can't just go to each other's desks and say like, hey, let's pop in the conference room and talk about this. So trying to figure out what is the cadence for internal communications? What are the things that we talk about? Like, that, so it's not overwhelming and trying to get different, you know, stakeholders and functional areas of our business to talk about like, what's important to you right now? Like, what do you think your colleagues should know? Because there's just, you know, it's overwhelming amount of information virtually right now. So like, how do I like simulate that we're all kind of in an operation center and we can just chat throughout the day? Yeah. Um, so, um, you raised you might raise money in a in a um in a tougher environment 2019 um inevitably all startups raise money again right so you're gonna have to go you're gonna have to go back out at some point in time i would imagine in the not too distant future and raise another round will it be easier phone calls this time i think every subsequent round of capital gets harder um <laughs> so <laughs> Um, it's not the most desirable use of my time, but it's yeah. important to the business. Wow, that's and, a blast. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I've learned, um, you know, like this has been an expensive learning process, but like I've been the recipient of a lot of generosity and patience. But one thing that I'm happy with now is, is my board and like they, they just work when I ask them to do so. Like Kevin helps me, you know, lead capital raise items and he's got a more relevant background in that. So it kind of helps reduce the burden. And then my other board member, uh, Mike Vespina, professionally, he does technical due diligence for VC and PE deals. So when we want to talk valuations, if it's a big technical question, if we want to talk about market outlooks, uh, Mike is just phenomenal with that. And in the pandemic, he has gone out and had in-person meetings on our behalf. Um, and, and Kevin would do the same thing if I asked him. So I, will it get easier? I don't think so. The stakes will get higher. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I like that challenge, right? Like, so I think I can lead through tough times, but can I lead through times of growth? And that's a personal challenge that I have for myself. And I welcome that when it, when it comes in the future. Kevin, how do y'all, um, so again, um, likelihood of another raise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's every startup, right? Every startup in theory wants the next raise until the exit event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do y'all support in the, um, in in deciding when, deciding how much, um, making connections, making personal phone calls and other things, right? How does that, how does that interplay with y'all and the founder work at TFX? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, cash in the bank, cash runway plays a, a role in, in, in terms of timing. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, ideally, you know, we want our, our startups to have about 18 months of runway. Um, and so when it's, you know, it starts to shorten up and, and you're getting, where you know it's it's time to go out and start telling your story. Um, we encourage that. Uh, Mike makes it easier because he's got a great story to tell, right? So that's the other thing. Um, you know, keep pounding away and and hitting your metrics. So when you do go out, those conversations are easier. You're excited about you know where the company's headed and and, and where it's been. So um, you know that that's another thing. Um, yeah, I guess I'd I'd say you know the other thing you're looking at is <laughs> your company a startup needs to, you know, continue to be growing, right? It's fast growth. That's, that's the venture ecosystem. And so you're, you know, you're looking to double and triple revenue every year. And to do that, you got to bring on more resources. So you're going to spend more money. So that's, you know, sort of the other trigger when you start realizing, okay, I've got this gap in my team. You know, I, I need some additional customer success people. I want to add a few salespeople. I need to hire a product engineer or two. 
um, you know, that also sort of dictates it's time to, to go out and raise because what we have in the bank, you know, may get us so far at steady state, but if we, you know, really want to pick things up and capture more of the market, we got to bring on these resources and that's going to cost us money. So no, that's a good point. Mike, how do you handle that? Right. I mean, um, what, 22 months ago, you were, um, you were one of two folks and you had every hat in the world in your closet and uh, multiple points during the day you had on different hats. And now you're back to more on the, the leading of the company and steering it. And I mean, you still have multiple hats. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking your hats away from you anytime soon. All right. Um, but you know, how have you evolved this time differently than you did coming out of, um, and I didn't realize you were rev tech lab, um, class two um but coming out of RevTech labs you know it's probably same same structure one of a couple of different folks on board and um and you grew up the company a little bit before you had to uh, restructure it um how are you different this time than you were that time and in, in in terms of guiding the ship forward hmm. um well i mean even in the most stressful times you try to you, you just learn along the way right like I wish I always had more time to read. I, I like to read. I always have more books, you know, sitting on my desk and buying more, but there's oftentimes there's been really challenging periods in history that might be pretty relevant to what you're working on or just in general. And you're just reading about it helps take you out of like the stress of your day to day. Think about, wow, other people have been in really challenging situations and they've solved for them, or at least they've gone through it. I've also tried to learn from others that have been in, in my place. I've, you know, I've talked to other other founders that are farther along than me. And like I said, it goes back to that. I've been the recipient of a lot of generosity and patient patience. So I do very things deliberately in my day. Like there's a reason I'm at my office right now. When I go home, I will not probably get back on my computer in front of my children because I need probably two, three hours to decompress before I try to fall asleep. So there's things that you have to be methodical about. I get up at a certain time to exercise before my kids wake up. So you got to get into a system and routine, and then that allows you to work the problem and have enough gas in your tank so that you're somewhat functional and useful. So like that stuff, your own personal accountability, like that should never go away. You've got to do things for yourself that at least allow you to show up and have something to give. And then I would just say, you know, you just learn from your mistakes. So I, I really value character and communication. Um, I want all of our interviews to be a two-way process. I want someone to tell me about the worst experiences they've had. I want them to understand our history so that they know when they come here, this is not a lifestyle business. We are not a charity. We have to make money, you know, and what's valuable to me is like our team, our clients, we've got to be customer obsessed and, and our shareholders and we are on a path. And what we did last year is not good enough. So like, as long as you just, you share that folks are generally excited about the opportunity because there's a ton of professional development opportunities that, that come along the way. Um, no, you're right. Um, yeah, I think it's so important for people to realize that uh, profitability is a very important metric because it allows you to open up the doors again tomorrow, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, <laughs> never, never a charity. Um, so, you know, talk, we've got a few more minutes left okay. kind of closing in on our time and I want to be respectful of that, but um, talk a little bit. So um, a, a circle here first, what's an ideal client for Procter Free, right? And, you know, Charlotte theoretically is a small community. Um, so how can people in Charlotte help you connect with those ideal clients as Procter Free continues to grow? So what can the community do to help you? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll describe our four customer segments and then just you know, generally, if you know someone um, involved in online learning, um, training and certification assessments, um, that, that's of interest to me. Um, so just think, who do you know? Like, I'm, I'm happy to talk to them. Um, but our, our four customer segments are, are generally higher education institutions. Um, is that K through 12? So that's not K through 12, that's universities, we, right? We do have K-12 clients, but I, I'd say the lower you go in education, the harder it is to, to support. So it's not that we won't work with K-12 clients, but they're, they're less ideal for us for, for a variety of reasons. So generally, you know, and, and again, today, trying to stay targeted on four segments, it would be the higher education institution. Yep. Um, someone selling online courses and training, um, certification and licensure, so professional organizations um, that have certifications associated with it. And then, you know, brand name technical companies. So if you think about like Sonic Wall University, um, they use us as, as a proctoring service. Um, so there's, you know, higher ed, someone delivering online training and courses and selling those courses online you know, professional, like legitimate, it's like National Fireplace Institute, um, things like that. And then, you know, brand name data companies that might have a badge of excellence associated with, with, with their product, or they might have a global audience of people that want to, you know, demonstrate um, some level of excellence, you know, in association with that brand. Yeah. Um, Kevin, how, um, from an investor perspective, as Mike's continue to grow and stuff like that, um, or I shouldn't say Mike has grown, um, but Proctor Free has continued to grow, mm-hmm. and he lists out you know those four segments real quick. How involved? It's like part of you probably wants to you know you you love. Um, we're back to a love affair with Mike. We might have fallen <laughs> out for a little bit, but you love Mike. Um, so, I mean, part of you probably just wants to pick up the phone and, and cold call for him. Right. So, I mean, how do y'all balance that from an investor perspective where you're supporting, nurturing and doing things versus, you know, actually cold calling for him? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I'd say Mike's not the only company in our portfolio. So we've got a lot of mics that we, uh, you know, want to, want to lean in and help. So, um, as much as I'd, I'd like to be an extension of, Mike's Salesforce full-time, um, just, just not able, but you know, when I come across an interesting lead, uh, always run it by Mike and, uh, determine, you know, whether or not it's, it's a fit for, um, you know, where he's taking the company and, and whether or not, uh, you know, he, he wants the intro. Um, and, and typically the intros are at a pretty high level. So, you know, they, they, they might be, you know, a portfolio company of another larger fund, who, you know, is, 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 uh, involved in, in training. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think where we help the most is on those two fronts, it would be, um, the, the customer piece and then on the capital raising piece that, that Mike mentioned earlier. Uh, and to the extent, you know, he, he wants help in other areas. He, he mentioned some of our other partners that are part of the, the task force X ecosystem, you know, we're happy to, to push them, his way, uh, it's up to up to him whether he wants to work with a with a dual boot or or with Cindy or uh, with yeah. Todd. Um, I, I would say it's, it's for anyone listening. It's not the responsibility of the investor to like make the sales call, right? But like they can be a force multiplier by you know giving you a, a pathway to solving for those needs. I mean, certainly that's that's absolute value add. And Kevin, yeah, you got you've got 
you got to strike a balance. I mean, we trust Mike to run the company, right? And so to the extent that Mike wants and, and needs our help, we'll, we'll lean in. But, William, uh, that would be a fun segment for future podcasts. Make investors do demos. And, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have trouble closing some of Mike's sales. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You gotta... nobody, nobody can give the pitch like Mike, so. Yeah. So you got some gray in that beard. I bet you could close some pitches pretty well. <laughs> so, um, so Mike, um, I mean, business struggling in 2018, 2019, I don't want to beat that up too much. Um, and now it's on a completely different place. Right. So, um, part of you probably just wants to say, man, sell the business today because it's, you know, we, we've got some ability to, to return shareholder value. Um, the other part says, man, I want to drive this train all the way. Um, how do you start to look at, you know, you know, the business and I, every company takes phone calls, right? Um, yeah. So how do you, how do you evaluate those things on a go forward basis? And then how do you correspond back and forth with Kevin and your other investors on expectations for next rounds versus, um, you know, an eventual exit, right? I mean, how early do those conversations start to? Um, yeah. So I, I think one of the things that was necessary was some over communication after the recap. So um, I think there was a, a call every two weeks with, with our board and majority shareholders. And um, that was helpful to get us to where we are now, where I still want to communicate at the very least on a monthly basis, because I found that there, there's no surprises that way. So one of the things that it would be absolute fair criticism of me in the past is just not enough communication coming out and then a problem arises and you don't have like the historical context. Um, so we've, we've done a couple of things over communicate um, so that, you know, we know where the data is. We kind of, it's consistent from month to month, quarter to quarter. Also agreeing on, you know, a revenue forecast at the beginning of the last two years um, and, and what you think, you know, an, an operating budget to support that would be. So then you can kind of report against that each month. And then, you know, because you've over communicated and you kind of know, where the data is and the tools that you're using and they're maturing, you can kind of identify why it's above or below where you thought it was going to be and point to certain things like that's important to tell a story. And then I think, you know, the biggest value that, that I need to be doing and focusing on is, is just running the business and, you know, um, making sure that culturally we're obsessed with our clients. We, you know, we're, we're trying to hit our product milestones this year. And like I said earlier, I have a, I have a great board that, that works for us. Um, so if an investment banker reaches out and there's some warm connection like I'll, I, first of all if there's not i'll just be respectful and say look i'm a, i'm focused on my clients and my team right now so maybe we, we'll just talk in the future but if there's some mutual connection i'll say hey happy to have a 30-minute call and oh by the way i'd like you to meet kevin um so if there is some some you know serious nature and it, it makes sense to stay in touch you know we can we can stay, stay in touch and kevin's you know has better background and sophistication to kind of weed out where someone's at and you know what, what they're doing in their fund or you know what their background is as a banker so try not to get um too distracted by it because none of it matters if you don't continue to execute right like so yeah. why sit here and talk about all this stuff today when i've still got i've got a lot of work to do um now but mike's mike's point we've been fielding a lot of those calls lately so the market he's in is is obviously hot and so there's there's a lot of interest around um what mike's doing so I try to I try to take a rock or two out of his pack by uh, being yep. involved in those calls and, and doing follow ups and yeah, provided uh, you know we we can hit the targets that we've set for this year, we're going to be in a great spot. 
How do you, I mean, so um, those phone calls happen and you basically, are you now just starting to kind of communicate with those companies on a, almost like Mike does and just letting them know where, where the targets are and how things are going with the company. Um, so you can, you know, it's like anybody else, right? You don't, um, you usually don't buy something on the first look. So um, it continues a warm conversation as the business continues to grow. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, we're trying to strengthen these relationships and, and make sure that we keep these contacts up to date on our progress. So when it, when it does come time, or maybe they find, you know, as, as they know more about Proctor Free and, and the path they're on, they come across a you know, potential choir or two or three. And, you know, you sort of end up moving towards a process. Yeah. So, um, uh, Kevin, is there such a thing as over communication from a portfolio company? No. <laughs> not from the investor side of things <laughs> uh, that's funny not at all <laughs> yeah so um that's cool well um i don't know mike it's you know i've um i've known the story for um a long time haven't been up in the davidson area um over the course of the years we've met on a couple of different occasions um i knew about the struggles earlier and super ex and have followed you through tfx for the last couple of years as well i knew the struggles were mostly behind you so it's good to see you on a on a nice clean vertical path um so love the company love what y'all are doing love that you know it's tied up with tfx and that story com continues so um thanks for you know carving out you know an hour and 10 minutes worth of your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, Kevin, thanks for being on just to kind of support it and talk about it from the investor perspective as well. Um, a lot of fun, great podcasts. And, um, you know, maybe um, sometime in the next couple of years, you know, I'll buy you a bottle of champagne. Thanks, William. So thanks. Our, thanks, our Mike. Pleasure, thanks, William. Kevin. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.